0: all right hello everyone this is scott mactamere with what's new in adapted physical education coming back at you for another new episode Um, Today is an exciting episode. I was able to get Dr. Monica Lepore, an APE professor at Westchester University of Pennsylvania, to come on the show. And uh, what's exciting is Dr. Lepore has, has done quite a few endeavors in the field of adaptive physical education, many textbooks, very well known for uh, some of her aquatics programs. But what is really great is that uh, she recently went on a sabbatical, which she'll talk about how she did it and why, to go around the country and go to different universities, which she went to eight altogether, and take a look at their practicum programs. And practicum programs are those college courses that give college students the opportunity to work with students with disabilities. And many of the listeners, even if you're APE teachers and you're, or you're an undergrad or you're a teacher, most of you probably went through a program like this. And hopefully they all were really beneficial for you because uh, what we know is that they seem to have a really big impact. So she went around the country to find out what was unique, what was different, how, you know, and how can we incorporate some of those things and Make them even stronger so she had a really interesting story and uh this is a part one of two episodes with dr lapore and we're going to talk today about how each program was set up and why you know why she went to the sabbatical and how we can use some of those uh different skills and ideas in a uh, practicum setting as well as you should think about if you are a teacher how can, if you're, there are any universities around that you can get your students to go to them, because a lot of universities want that connection with the school districts as well. All right, so with that, uh, Dr. Lapore is going to
1: start, uh, she's going to introduce herself and talk about her own program. I guess, I'll, let me tell you the story of how I got to do this sabbatical, okay? I guess I could start with uh introducing myself. My name is Monica Lapore. I teach at Westchester University in Pennsylvania, and I have been a professional preparator of adapted physical educators for 35 years. And before that, I was three years in the field as an adapted PE teacher um, in Long Island at a self-contained school for about 250 children. And um I really love what I do, but I was a little concerned that being away from the hands-on in the public schools for so long, and also that my model of practicum-based teaching was based on when I went to the University of Wisconsin-La Crosse in 1978, I was a little concerned that in my twilight years of my profession, that I was stale. So a lot of people try to say, why don't you take a sabbatical? And so when you think of a sabbatical, you think of like refreshing yourself. I was thinking more like a relaxing and et cetera, but there was no relaxing in my sabbatical, but there was refreshing, that's for sure. Professional refreshment. So I was looking to do a few things. One is to see, was I, am I still on track after 35 years teaching the same classes to different students, but kind of doing a similar thing? Um, was I also burning out? at all, and would I need to see other people's programs for me to get refreshed again? And um, a third piece was kind of to look at what other people just were doing. What are they doing, and how can I incorporate that into my service learning programs? Um, So I teach an intro to adapted physical education class, the basic required class that everyone who wants to be a health and physical educator um, in Pennsylvania needs to teach. But I also teach a class called Disability Studies, which is looking at the experience of disability in the world and kind of more like a psychosocial aspect to it, um, where we talk a lot about the intersection of disability with, you know, maybe race or gender or uh, what are the we talk about laws and we talk about oppression and we talk about the history of people with disability in America. So that's a real different class than my intro to adaptive PE and then I teach a class called inclusion in health and physical education which is taught at the same time to the same students as the adapted intro to adaptive PE class. So there's they're taking six credits at once with me. Half of the credits, three of the credits are, you know, more focused on inclusionary principles and inclusion strategies, while the other one is focused on meeting a person with a disability in physical education or health, assessing them, writing goals and objectives for them, and teaching them and writing reflections about it. So I see that as two drastically different things. So we have those three classes, but I also have a 21-credit Adapted Physical Education minor. And each one of those classes has a service learning practicum component. So that's a lot of service learning classes. So my students generate about three to 5,000 hours of service learning a year at Westchester University. Um, and Westchester University is one of the Carnegie service learning uh, universities in the United States. So we're very proud of that. Um, so I used the term service learning a lot during my visits to the various places I went throughout the country. And so as I was sitting Around two years ago when I had to put the proposal in, um, you know, the proposal is extensive. It's, it's a 24 page document asking the university to give me time off to go do something and still pay me. I mean, it's a rigorous experience. And at first, I didn't really want to put in the effort to write a 24 page paper because I was not sure What I really wanted to do. How could I make this an experience that made Westchester University proud? How can I make this an experience for me as a professional to make me look at what I'm doing in a new light? And then also, you know, the bottom line is, how does this help Westchester University students to serve people with disabilities out in our communities better? Will I be able to do anything during my sabbatical to make that end. And, um, so I was not sure I would find something that would be worthy. Um, but then I just kind of sat down and looked at it and found that I think that I could learn from a lot of other people. And that's how my sabbatical project, this project began, you know, is really entitled service learning in adapted physical education at universities throughout the United States mostly in connection with their undergraduate programs, but I also got to view the their graduate materials too. And I was really excited because I was able to reach out to um, eight different universities. It's not surprising at all to find that our colleagues in adaptive Physical Education are the most generous and Uh, they share everything. Sure. I'll send you this. I'll give you this here. Look at this. Like not a question goes unanswered. And so just going around to the different places throughout the country, just also revitalized my faith in the good people that we have in adapted physical education, which sometimes may be what you really need to refresh yourself. Like, Hey, I'm still doing good stuff. This is still good stuff. We're still doing great things in the United States. We are a hardworking group, a a small hardworking group. So that was kind of an unexpected delight to get from this travel around the United States. So Scott, I started my sabbatical going out to California. And then I went to a few universities on the East Coast, uh, one down in in North Carolina. Um, So there was eight places that I visited and I have some really interesting observations. But let me ask you, what are some questions that you're interested in finding out about this material that I've gathered so far?
0: Definitely, definitely. And it sounds like you have are going to have a a wide variety of experiences. Uh, What I want to hear is I want to hear, you know, your thoughts and what your experiences were just seeing some different types of universities out there Uh, what types of programs did you see what they unique and how are they similar Um, i think those are
1: well i think one of the things that i'd like to share with you first is how did i figure out what i was going to ask or what i wanted to see Um, so i knew that service learning which of course is the buzzword everywhere was gonna be part of the focus of my, my questions. So I wanted to know a couple of things. Do the programs that teach professional preparation in adapted physical education, do these programs share information or function under a service learning coordinator at the university? And I was surprised to find out that a lot of them did not. They didn't have the answer to the question, like, who is your service learning coordinator? They were like, I don't know. Um, and I find that at Westchester University, one of my stalwart supporters is the service learning coordinator at the university. Um, so I kind of wanted to know what people's experiences were with that and it was about maybe 50-50 about 50% said yeah i think we send them something which meant to me no we don't work together um or if they say yes we have a very active service learning component and the person you know is one of my supporters then so it was about 50-50 and i was a little surprised at that and Actually, I'm not as surprised because adapted and regular general physical educators tend not to toot their horn and they think that this is tooting their horn and it's not. It's sharing, it's collaborating. So if you are listening out there and you're a professional preparator and you are doing any service learning programs, please find out who is your service learning coordinator on campus and get that connection. It's really great.
0: Yeah, I'm actually pretty unfamiliar with uh, that term. And we have a practicum. And I know we get, we have a lot of people come in and out of there. But where would you find the service learning coordinator at a university?
1: Well, believe it or not, we have a separate office for volunteerism and service learning. And it started many years ago as just the office of volunteerism. And that evolved into a full time position called the service learning coordinator. They even have Uh, They even have a faculty um, liaison. They actually have uh, a full-time person working for them. And also they have a grad assistant and a work-study student. So um, I'm not quite sure where it's located, but it's in the, like our university has our Office of um, Student Affairs. It is in the part of the Student Affairs And one of the things I find that's really good about the connection with these service learning um, professionals is they have a lot of information. They have a lot of statistics and they have a lot of buzzwords on how to get things done. Let me give you an example. So we have a new recreation center and it seems like a lot of the universities that their rec centers were built like in the seventies are all getting new rec centers, more than half of the places that I went to have new rec centers in the last four years. It was really incredible. But we wanted to get more into the rec center, but we really weren't allowed because it's paid for by the students. Well, the service learning coordinator kind of put me together with some kind of like buzzwords that she uses to connect academics with student affairs. And we got into the, into the rec center because we, found goals that were both for student affairs and for academics and combine them and realize that we're working toward the same thing. Um, So that was one thing that I wanted to know. I wanted to know what they did in relation to their service learning on their campus. Um, So our service learning uh, collects our hours they also, um, last semester I had a service learning associate and that person got a little scholarship and then was able to do a lot of different things for my service learning programs. Um, also at the universities, a lot of service learning c- programs can use federal financial aid work study students to, um, gobble up some of the money that the federal government gives to the financial aid offices on campus that has to be used for service and community learning. And a lot of people don't know that. So that's really good. Um, another thing I wanted to learn about programs um, had to do with facilities. I want to know what facilities people have. Um, all of us, I think, in general, struggle with facilities. Um There was only one out of eight places that had their own facility that was dedicated just to them. So seven out of eight um, have good relationships with the people they share with. But like for me on a rainy day, that means all the teams are coming in, the sports teams come in that we share facilities with. There's a lot of collaboration that has to occur. So I wanted to know if anybody else had some of the similar problems that some other people had. So that was uh, facilities. I wanted to know where people did these practicum programs. Mm -hmm. I also wanted to know why people were still using on-campus programs. Um, All of the places that I went to, eight out of eight, and they all have on-campus programs and none of them are inclusionary. So we want. I wanted to know, why are we still doing this? Is it still helpful? Is it still good? Um, and I'll get back to that with some answers in a few minutes.
0: I like that question.
1: And then I wanted to know what assignments are connected with their service learning program. So a question in service learning, um, some people call it experiential learning, but we're really talking about the practicum part of your classes, the, the hands-on part, not the lecture part. Um, what assignments were are connected with this? So the question is, how do we assess learning in service learning? Because we know for sure that we are serving the community, but what are the learning parts? And um, again, I'll talk a little bit about that in a few minutes. I wanted to know if, People had, had manuals for how their program is, programs are run. And do they give that to their university students? And that was again about 30% yes. And the rest, no, they didn't have that. They had maybe had a handout or they put something on, you know, online. But, um, when I asked the students, they liked having a manual and they did look at it. So it could be very helpful. Um, I wanted to also know a little bit about um, what they expect their college students to be like during these practicums, like demeanor, professional demeanor. And some of that demeanor also revolves around like a uniform. So we'll talk about that in a minute. And then I I really was very, very interested in how and who manages these programs, because that seems to be the part that I'm struggling with in my profession and my professionalism. It just seems like I am conducting many, many, many service learning programs, and it doesn't seem like I get a lot of help. Um, I don't get any funding. And it seems like I am putting more time in planning the practicum part than I am in planning my lectures. And I mean, that's a good thing because that's what we do. You know, I want my students to, to see what we do and feel it and experience it. Um, and of course, in a practicum program, we have... Many different things that occur that you don't expect. And that's what our students need to know. How do I deal with someone melting down or licking the floor or biting the Nerf balls or throwing the bat? Like, that's the part uh, that's, in, that's kind of important. But I, I want to know how people manage this stuff. How do they, how do they run all these programs and, and grade all these lesson plans and, you know, talk to the softball coach who really wants to have another 15 minutes in the gym or, you know, how do they manage all of this? Because I have to admit, it's a little overwhelming, you know. Okay. So Sundays, we have Special Olympic swimming. It's open to all students at the university for service learning. We have some people that are in an English class, and they are they have to write about their experiences. Then I have the swim team who are doing it as a community service for their team. And then we have my students who are trying to acquire like 150 hours before they graduate. Uh, then we have some students who are doing it as pre-professional educational hours. So there's so many different components to it. You know, you know, are my lifeguards there? Is the water temperature good? Is the lift working today? You know, who's absent? Who's not? Do we have a meet coming up? You know, there are just so many things. I'm like, somebody else has to have some ideas for me about how to manage things because they're a little bit over my head sometimes.
0: So now let's. Now, talk about your program and in, in comparison with some of the outcomes that you were looking at, such as their facilities, their uh, program management, and their uh, sizes and such as well um, from your your travels.
1: Well, one of the things that I'm finding is a little bit epidemic throughout the country is that our health and PE undergraduate programs have shrunk considerably. So, whereas Maybe people were teaching 125 or 200 people a year. They're now probably teaching like 50 to 90. So our programs all across the country are, sh- have shrunk. Okay. Um, I see a small increase over the last year in kind of a comeback. Um, but that puts a little bit of stress On the practicum programs that are already in place because if I have 50 children that come every Wednesday night and now I only have 30 volunteers now I am at the office of service learning try to drum up 20 more volunteers just to keep the practicum program working I I am NOT going to tell these 20 kids hey guess what we don't have a volunteer for you you know that's just not good community service um so I have found that the programs are getting a little bit smaller. Um, some of the grad programs are shrinking also. Um, we're f- I'm finding when I went somewhere that uh, their programs are smaller they're they're not having the same amount of money come in from the federal government as training. Um, so I, I saw that the, the that programs overall are a little bit smaller than they have been 10 years ago. Um, I've found that everybody who is in my position as someone who teaches college students and how to adapt, differentiate, modify for people with disabilities are, um, a very excited crew. They are creative. They are hardworking. They are always on double duty. Um, they are juggling many, many balls during their week um, to try to get things done. And um, but we seem to be on the same page. Uh, every time I left somewhere, I would say to myself, "Wow, I got five great new ideas." But we are on the same page. It was really phenomenal especially the assignments. We're, we're all on the same page with assignments. You know, we're asking young professionals to do assessment. We're asking them to talk to parents. We're asking them to learn how to write goals and objectives. We're asking them to differentiate instruction. We're asking them to be creative in using equipment and cue and words. And it seems like everybody is really taking the time to read literature and incorporate it in their class. You know, I saw fabulous things regarding, um, positive behavior support plans. And I think that's where we need to keep heading. There was no like explosive aha moments anywhere, because I think we're all doing a great job. And that made me feel really happy. Um, What was different about the different programs is how much autonomy university professors give to their undergraduate students. So I have a tendency to be a little bit more um, controlling, like I like to control what's going to happen as much as I can during the practicum program because I feel like the young People, the kids, the clients, will bring enough diversity to the table that day that there'll be plenty of stuff to react to. I like, I like to have a little bit more hands in the teaching. So for example, I like to write the lesson plan outline and my students differentiate, modif- modify, and adapt versus starting from scratch with an outline. I also like to dictate what are going to be the themes because I think undergraduate students, while they're my favorite people ever, I, I don't think that they really can dig into a theme at a sophomore level, which is when my class is taught. They might not have even had intro to elementary PE yet. And I'm telling them the word theme and they think I mean like, To say spring is a theme and fall is a theme. And I'm like, no, finding open space is a theme. Um, Also, undergraduates tend to gravitate toward an easier thing like basketball, dribbling, throwing, and catching. While I want them to gravitate towards something much more creative like. Finding open space. How do you teach people with cognitive disabilities how to find open space? Because if they don't find open space, they're not going to be successful in the playground in any team activities. Um, Well, some team activities, but um, so I like to have more control. And I found on my journey that a lot of people have less control and I'm thinking how can I have less control and give my students more control? That is what I learned, and I'm gonna to have to figure that out.
0: And, and can I can I ask you on that question? Because I think that's an interesting one. I I help run the practicum at TWU, and I think we give them sometimes. I would self reflecting on it. We give them a lot of autonomy, and they do get to pick things their themes at times. And sometimes, yes, basketball. And you know, we try to gear them – You know guide them away from some of those things at times, but we do give them a lot of that. Like, what are the benefits and maybe not benefits of of, uh, the autonomy versus not autonomy, do you think?
1: When I was looking at different programs, I found some of them were similar to mine. And let me give you a typical hour and 20 minutes of what happens like on a Wednesday night in my practicum program. So the first 20 minutes, my undergraduate students who have the least experience, they are working on the goals and objectives that they came up with during their assessment. So two, two objectives they have to work on. They have 20 minutes to have autonomy in that. I've already approved the objectives. So as long as they pass through me and say, I'm going to use the mini tramp and I say, don't forget to put a mat under it, that's really all I need um, and then the next 20 minutes my undergraduates who are at a higher level, they're in like the adapted physical education minor they take over and they do a 20 minute lesson on the theme that I told them to do so for two weeks in a row maybe the theme is balance and agility so they will have a 20 minute lesson on balance then they will take a little break then the, another person teaches the other part of the 20-minute balance lesson, part two. And then they have 20 minutes on this thing called the Fabulous Fitness Five. So it's five things that we do every single week that the children in the program chart their progress. And hopefully they will do those at home. They're very easy things. Um, so the first 20 minutes, my students who are new have... All the autonomy. Then they have 40 minutes that they have to be like a paraeducator in a class. Then they have 20 minutes where they are working with their students on those five fitness things that they can have autonomy and how to motivate them. And they can have the autonomy on how to figure out which things they do first in that. So that's kind of how I run it. And It looks like that I found three out of eight um, universities that I saw do pretty much the exact same thing as that. And then the others let their undergraduates have the whole hour that they are in charge. And maybe a grad assistant walks around with the faculty member and says, hey, maybe you should try this. Um, And their autonomy... Is checked by a lesson plan that the professor or a grad student looked over, um, yeah. and so that that's you know that's how uh, uh, more than half of the, the the practicums that I saw have a lot almost a hundred percent autonomy by an undergraduate who is learning intro to adaptive PE.
0: And it's not, it sounds like our program's a lot closer to that second one. And we have, a, we have a very large graduate school or program, which I think definitely helps with something like that where you're able to really oversight. But it does also sound to me like the structured programs, you're, you know, and it sounds like you have just as much positive as there is negative to it, but maybe that there's less room for error on that, on a more structured one like you're giving them, uh, which, you know, is obviously positive and negative since there's more, right. more yes. room. So that's
1: my learning myself is how can I take all of those programs that I saw? How can I take that autonomy that these undergraduates have and gradually bring it into my program so that I feel okay with it. And, you know, so that's what I'm, that's part of my sabbatical. That's what I have to work on over the next few weeks is writing up what did I learn that I am going to incorporate? So that's definitely a, a major part that that is different about the programs. Another part is how much help people have. So let's look at some of the ways that people have gotten themselves help. One is they have other faculty who do that. So at one of the universities, there are two faculty members that have A the same class that's held at the same time so they can then combine during their practicum time and there's two university faculty there at once. Oof, that would be real nice, okay? I used to have that back in the day. Don't have that anymore. Another way is through grad assistants. There was probably, I'd say six out of the eight programs have some type of a graduate assistant that either either is paid for by the university or there or grants that faculty have written. And a lot of these university grad students or grad assistants, excuse me, are already certified in health and physical education. Well, then the faculty member could be really, really happy with the level of risk management, because that's a big issue. Um, so, and then some of them uh, use student, like I use students who have already had the introduction class to adapt to PE as my staff. They don't get paid, but they are the ones who conduct all of the help with the assessments. They're the ones who have a group of five undergraduates who they oversee and they give feedback to, um, and they're the ones who... Um, I help to decide whether or not things are safe.
0: All right. Thank you so much for listening to part one of this two-part episode on service learning and, and uh, APE practicum experiences that Dr. LaPorte was so kind to come on the show and share. Uh, next episode, we're going to talk more about you know some of the strategies that she saw on how we can, you know, in some... We're going to debate even between inclusion versus segregated programs, and we're going to have a lot of really great things. Another thing to put onto the docket: we're going to have a panel uh, from Nick to come on, building healthy, inclusive communities, which is a great organization that's paired with ACSM and many other uh, disability advocacy uh, programs, where. They're going to come on and talk about some of the different initiatives they have in relation to APE. So we're going to probably be recording that in mid-May, so we're very excited about that as well. Well, as always, we'll have another episode out in a few weeks for y'all, finishing up this interview with Dr. Lepore. Until then, uh, I hope all of you are doing well in IEP season as well as the end of the college semester. So take care, and we'll see you soon.